You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Like to open your Bibles to John chapter 8 this morning. We looked last week at what Jesus meant when he said, On the last and greatest great day of the feast, he stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's John 7 37 and 38. The setting, of course, was during the Feast of Tabernacles. All of John chapter 7 is set in the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus said this in reference to one of the great and symbolic rituals of the feast, which was called the drawing out of water. That ritual was both a reminder to them of God's provision of water from the rock during their wilderness travels 1,500 years earlier, and it was also a promise of a future time uh, when the coming Messiah would release streams of life-giving water to flow out over all the earth. Isaiah 44 says, I will pour water on the, the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That's Isaiah 44 verse 3. Now it's a bold claim that Jesus makes, as are most of his claims. It confused some, it infuriated others as did most of what Jesus said. But it's not the only bold claim that Jesus makes during the course of this feast. This week I want to look at another claim that he makes about himself in John chapter 8. And it's another claim, of course, that gets the religious leaders offside with him. And this claim is again associated with one of the rituals of the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, that's a ritual that looks back to the wilderness travels all those centuries before. And again... It is a ritual that looks forward to a future fulfilment. So John 8 verse 12 tells us, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now the observant among us may may have noticed that we haven't quite continued on directly from John chapter 7. We're picking up the text here in chapter 8 verse 12. So that means we're, we're jumping over one of the most loved stories in the Bible. The story where the woman caught in the act of adultery is brought before Jesus to, to get judgment on her act. I'll come back to the, that story probably next week. But I want to continue on this week with the events of the Feast of the Tabernacles while the setting's still fresh in our minds. I said last week that there were two important rituals that were conducted during this feast. The first was the drawing out of water ceremony. That occurred every morning. The other one was the ceremonial lighting of enormous lamps, and that happened every evening. In one of the outer courts of the temple, known as the Court of Women, which is where Jesus was currently teaching people, there were four enormous candelabra filled with oil. These were so large that you had to climb a ladder to light them. Every evening during the Feast of Tabernacles, priests would climb the ladders and light these huge lamps. They gave off so much light that it is said that all of Jerusalem was lit up by them. The limestone walls of the city buildings reflected light into every street and into every courtyard of the city. 
Imagine the scene. Jerusalem had no streetlights. We're talking 2,000 years ago. No lighting that came on once the sun went down. After sunset, the city would have been very dark, except for the occasional candle or lamp that was glowing through the windows of a, a house. So it must have been a spectacular sight when all the city was lit up after dark and to be able to navigate around the city in safety because of the light. Now, light is an important idea in John's Gospel. Indeed, in all of the Apostle John's writings, his writings contain about a third of all the New Testament references to light. And light versus darkness is one of the great themes, not only of John's Gospel, but of the whole Bible. The Bible opens in Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3, with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. John opens his gospel with a similar thought. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him, that is, the word, Jesus Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John the Baptist said of Jesus, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And Jesus himself says in John chapter 3, This is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's a tiny, tiny bit of the biblical background to this idea of light and darkness in the Bible. But what's the background to the specific events that are being remembered and celebrated in the Feast of Tabernacles? For that, we need to look back to the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 13 of Exodus, where the, when the people are escaping from the clutches of Pharaoh, and uh, they've been enslaved, as you know, for many, many years in Egypt. As they were leaving Egypt, Exodus 13 verse 21 tells us, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This pillar of cloud and fire would soon lead them through the wilderness, and would continue to lead them for the next 40 years. But before they got into this wilderness, the cloud protected them from a vindictive pharaoh who changed his mind and decided he wanted to bring them back into slavery. So at the red edge of the Red Sea, as the people crossed, prepared to cross over, Exodus 14.19 tells us, the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. 
coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. This pillar of cloud and fire provided more benefits to the people than merely leading them. It also shielded them from their enemies. It kept their enemies in the dark, and it likewise kept them safe, providing light so that they could see where they were going. This same pillar of cloud and fire protected them from the harsh sun of the wilderness during the day, and it provided warmth for them in the bitter cold nights. You know, this pillar of cloud and fire led them and protected them and provided for them. For 40 years, they never ran out of food or drink while they followed the cloud. Their sandals didn't wear out for 40 years. They had everything they needed supplied for them for free, just as long as they continued to follow the pillar of cloud and fire. There may be a lesson in there somewhere for us. Now these events are what Jesus was likely referring to when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we don't know for sure at what point during the feast that Jesus made his bold pronouncement. Since we're at the end of the feast now, presumably the gigantic lamps have gone out and they won't be lit again until next year at the next Feast of Tabernacles. Certainly, if that's when he said it, his statement would have had the greatest impact. But what does he mean by darkness? Darkness has a number of different uses in the Bible. The simplest and most obvious is just to refer to the absence of light, as in nighttime. But even this simple darkness can have ominous overtones in the Bible. Think of the plague of darkness that descends on Egypt shortly before the Israelites escape from slavery. An inky blackness covered Egypt for three days, so dark that no one could see any other person. Meanwhile, the Israelites living just about next door had light. God can make darkness fall on one house and light to shine on the one right next door if he chooses to. And according to Exodus 10.24, this darkness was so dark that it could be felt. No doubt you've all sensed at some stage the creepiness of darkness and silence. You can feel it envelop you, and it doesn't feel good. Think also of the darkness that descended over Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. For three hours, from noon until 3pm, darkness covers the land. Right up until the moment Jesus breathes his last and gives up his spirit. Darkness is well used by Hollywood to set the mood in movies. Darkness conveys a sense of dread, of uneasiness, of fear. It provides the perfect backdrop for horror movies or for evil crimes that they're trying to portray. I'm sure you would remember from your pre-Christian life that there were very few times you committed your sins or crimes publicly. I suspect there are a few times even today as a Christian that you want your sins committed publicly. For the most part, you did them in darkness, and you hoped that they'd stay hidden. 
even something relatively minor such as claiming a tax deduction that you're not actually entitled to, is something that you don't want brought to the light. Which leads us to another common use of darkness in the Bible. Darkness frequently represents evil and sin. About half the uses of darkness in the Old Testament refer to evil, sin, death and divine punishment. Isaiah speaks of a time, then future, when Jesus the Messiah would come to a people who were living in spiritual and moral darkness. When he writes in Isaiah 9, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Here Isaiah was talking about people in the bondage of sin, weighed down by the hopelessness of the human condition and that we'll one day be set free from that darkness when the light comes. Matthew applies that very same verse from Isaiah to the commencement of Jesus' earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, where he writes that Jesus left Nazareth behind and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the sea road, by the, beyond the Georgian, Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Matthew writes, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The New Testament almost exclusively refers to darkness as a bondage to hypocrisy, lies and sin. By contrast, light then refers to release from that slavery, being set free to live in holiness and purity and truth. So that's the background to Jesus' great declaration, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus promises that his followers will not walk in darkness but have the light of life, he promises nothing less than these things. Firstly, that we have forgiveness of sins. It's the most important benefit of all. Until our sins are forgiven, everything we do is done in darkness, spiritually speaking. Forgiveness bridges the gap between us in our sin-darkened state and God in his pure and holy condition. It opens up the door for us to enter freely into the light. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, that we should be always giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We also enjoy new life when we come to the light. Where we once walked in the darkness of a spiritual death, we now have life, eternal life. Whoever follows me, Jesus said, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there are things, spiritual things, that we now understand that previously were beyond our comprehension. 2 Corinthians 4.6 tells us, For God who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. He promises that he will lead us safely through life, just as he led the people through the wilderness in the Exodus, and that he will protect us from harm and destruction, just as he protected the people in the wilderness, and that he will provide for us, just as he provided for the people in the wilderness. It sets us up to live holy lives, walking in the light. Ephesians 5.8 For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now we're able to discern between good and evil, between light and dark. Ephesians 5.11 tells us, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now that we can discern light and dark, we are told to avoid intimate contact with the darkness that would drag us down. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? And it prepares us for that final day of judgment when Jesus returns to bring all of history to a close. First Thessalonians 5 tells us, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And this coming to the light unites us to all other believers all over the world and in every age. First John 1.7 tells us if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he has also made us to be lights to others, to bring the knowledge of Jesus Christ to those who still dwell in darkness. You yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, Paul writes in Romans 2. But you are a chosen race or royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. 1 Peter 2.9 You would imagine that people would flock to the light, to any opportunity to escape the darkness. And to some extent they do. But like a moth to a flame, where they mostly flock to is anywhere but the source of true light. It's anywhere but to Jesus Christ. They flock to self-help messages and motivational speakers. They flock to gurus and monks and those claiming to offer enlightenment. They flock to any number of religions that promise them light. But sadly, they flock to sources of light that are traps leading them to destruction. And they refuse to come to him, to Jesus Christ, the true light. It's no surprise, for it's been happening like this from time immemorial, 
Jesus pointed this out to the religious leaders back in John 5. You search the scriptures, he said, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. These people love the darkness that keeps them in bondage. And sadly, if they continue to refuse to come to the light, to come to Jesus Christ, they will be condemned to live in that darkness forever. These are wells without water, Peter writes in 2 Peter 2, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. But there is good news for those who do come to Jesus Christ, who do come to the light of the world, for what awaits them is glorious beyond all comprehension. Darkness, whether it be the gloom of night or the pain of sickness or the evil of sin, will one day be no more. Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, Yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign for ever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon must take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Ultimately, that's where this earthly life is heading. For all those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. All those who come to the light. Have you done that today? I hope so. I hope and I pray that you have. If you have, this is what you have to look forward to one day. Plus all the benefits I mentioned before. Plus much, much more than that. If you haven't done that, why don't you do that now? Come to the light. Come to Jesus Christ. Just pray a simple prayer, asking him to wash away all your brokenness and your sin and your darkness and to give you healing and life and light. And he will be faithful to answer that prayer. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, you are the only true light. You are the only source we have for navigating this crazy and broken world for keeping us on straight paths on the uh, paths of righteousness the paths that lead Lord to your presence at the end of days Lord would you shine your light on us shine your light in our hearts would you make yourself known to us more every day would you open your word to us, Lord, for your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 
Would you make us to see the glory of Jesus Christ, that he would shine brighter in our vision every day. He must increase and we must decrease, Lord. Lord, would you equip us to know right from wrong, light from dark, and to make the right decisions, the right choices every day as we follow you. And Lord, we will stay close to you. With the help of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we will stay close to you, close to the pillar of cloud and fire that leads us through this earthly wilderness that one day we might come into that that promised land. The land, Lord, where we dwell with you forever without sin or sickness, without pain or suffering. And Lord, we ask that you'll write these things on our hearts with such flaming intensity, Lord, that we're a light to those who don't yet know you, to bring the knowledge of Jesus Christ into a dark world, Lord, we pray for doors to be opened that we can share the true light with people, that we can tell them what difference Jesus Christ makes when he brings light to their life. We pray for our friends, for our family, for our neighbours, for our workmates that don't yet know you. We pray for the people of this nation of Australia and around the world, Lord, who don't yet know you, would you bring your light to shine on them, Lord? Would you use us, would you use other believers as lamps to bring the light of Jesus Christ to them as well? So that one day, Lord, all darkness will be banished forever, and all that will be left are the saints in light, worshipping the true light, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray these things in his name, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.